right, if you don't know me, my name is Corey Tellman. I live in South Hadley, right by Mount Holyoke College, with my wife, Kate, who is back there at the soundboard. Mm. This is my second time preaching here at Mercy House. And uh, when you preach here, you get uh, given a passage to preach on. And some passages are easier than others. They maybe tell a story or have a nice essay sort of format, laying out an argument to, uh, to teach us something. And uh, so when I was asked again to preach, and I was given 2 John 12 to 13, I thought, that's not very many verses. Okay, and I went and looked it up, and sure enough, it basically says, hope to see you soon, bye. And I thought, ah, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Uh, but if we call the Bible our authority, then we believe that God is speaking throughout the Bible, and everything is there for a reason, even this little farewell at the end should have something to say to us about who God is and his relationship with us. So with that, let's take a look at it. Second John 12 to 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now, at first I thought, ah, children of your elect sister, that sounds good and mysterious. Certainly there are things to talk about there, but as we've heard in the last few sermons, that probably is just sort of code or affectionate language for the people in our local church here. Send greetings to you, the local church there. So maybe not so much to say there. Um, and so instead, I, I took a look at this um, dichotomy between paper and ink, much to write to you, but don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. John's reflections on speaking with paper and ink versus face to face are timely for us, not just today, this week, this year, but this little slice of history that we inhabit as opposed to the 2,000 years it's been since he wrote this. I think it's safe to say we use the written word more to communicate than any people ever in history has done so. Um, the other day, I got a text message from my neighbor to our group of neighbors asking if anyone had a saucepan of a certain size for something she was cooking. And that's a totally sensible thing to do, it, it, you know, a nice, efficient way to get the answer to that question. But if you had gone back to John's time, or even... Much more recently, you could go back 100 years, even 50 years, and explain to someone that your neighbor asked you for something in writing, that would be a really, really strange thing for them to grasp. But for us, this is just uh, normal for us, texting, email, social media. Um, we're having a lot of conversations about that, therefore, in, our, in the culture that surrounds us. Uh, it is a new thing that we're learning to deal with. So we're talking about communication, changing forms of communication, how social media influences us. How do your habits on Facebook inter, uh, determine your uh, habits and daily conversation? Uh, can you make major government policy announcements through Twitter and that sort of thing? These are things that we're still figuring out. They're very much live questions for us. We're having conversations as well about the importance of presence 
talking to someone who's far away in writing versus actually being present, having our bodies here. We talk about uh, getting our bodies moving because we live a sedentary lifestyle like no one before in history. We talk about mindfulness and being present and the importance of the body as uh, space in social justice discourse. We talk about the body and identity. Does the color of my skin determine who I am? Does the shape of my body determine who I am? All that sort of thing. And so whatever John was thinking about the difference between paper and ink communication and face-to-face -face communication, it probably actually is more significant to us today than it was to him when he was actually writing it to someone. This little passage here hits on things that touch us right here and now in the 21st century. So I want to start digging into this by asking one of the same questions that we ask of our communication today, which is, why does it matter that we talk face to face, or does it? John obviously sees it as worthwhile to write. Uh, he sends this letter to, to send this, uh, this teaching and, and all that, and yet he seems to value here face-to-face -face conversation on another level. So to re reflect on that, that face-to-face -face conversation, you know, it is the basic form of human communication, right? The spoken word predates the written word by like a really long time. It's how we developed language. Speaking face-to-face, -face, you can give someone all sorts of context through your tone, your facial expression, your, your body language. And, and so when, when we're speaking, we're actually, we're using our bodies to communicate to each other, right? My lungs, my vocal cords, my mouth, my face. When we're writing, we're using symbols to mediate that communication from the, the hand of the writer to the eye of the reader. But writing has its advantages. It, it's permanent in a way that speech isn't. And so John can write this letter 2,000 years ago. We can find a copy of it today, and it looks the same. And it can be sent over distance, like the letters he sent, like our emails. So John uses writing to put these thoughts down in a permanent form, send them far away to people that he can't see, because until we had video chats, speaking face-to-face -face required actually being present. Today, I can talk to someone on the other side of the world and see their face and hear their voice. But in John's time, to do that actually required being there physically in the same place at the same time. We use the phrase, in the flesh, to capture this idea that you had to actually be there. You had to be present. And presence, I think, is where we really get into the importance of location and the body and why it matters to John that he speak with them face to face. In addition to the logistical limits of what writing can do, he's not just saying he doesn't want to put everything in writing because of that. He's saying he wants to be present there with the church. His concern isn't only for the ideas that they learn or the rules that they know. If it were, he could just write all of that down. All of that fits in writing just fine. But his concern is for a relationship in which they are present in each other's lives, in each other's worlds, in each other's experiences. And why does he say this? I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that our joy may be complete. John, it seems, believes that there is joy in experiencing the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And I want to share with you how I've been able to experience this joy in new ways over the last three years through our small group. A few years ago as a church, we launched new small groups. We all went through the book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. We read through it together. We met weekly to talk about the book, about God's purposes for our lives, how we were or weren't answering his call with our daily habits of living. We met on Sunday afternoons, 4.30 to 6 o'clock. It was a terrible time to meet. We hated it. I like to rest on Sundays. So like my, my ideal after church Sunday is after the intensely social experience of church, I want to go home and just be alone with my wife or maybe a few close friends or maybe just actually be alone. Be like, Kate, I'm going to go hang out in the woods. I'll see you in a few hours. That, that's a great Sunday to me. Also, I get sleepy at 4.30, that kind of day, somewhere between 3 to 5. Even if I'm pretty well rested, I just really want to just lay down and take a nap. So 4.30 on Sunday was a, a tough time to meet. And not just for me. Uh, one of our members, Elaine, she uses Sunday afternoons to cook food for like the rest of her week. So meeting at that time, it didn't just mess with her day. Like it screwed up her whole week to meet on Sundays. Uh, Brett Marquard, who hosted it with his wife, Jenna, he summed it up best, I thought, when he said, I hate meeting at this time, and there is not a better time. So, we all <laughs> kept meeting on Sundays. We often didn't want to go, unsurprisingly. Um, again, that's not just us, but Kate and I would talk about, like, oh, if only we could skip this week, can we just stay home? We didn't want to go uh, many times. And I don't, I don't think we ever skipped just because we didn't feel like going. I think we went every week. Uh, so we went, and we were always glad that we went. By the time we left, we were so happy we had been there because there we experienced community. We learned to know the other people in that group, and they learned to know us. And most importantly, not just that we were known, we were known by a group of people whose lives were dedicated to the same purpose as our lives, which is the purpose of living in obedience to God and of bringing glory to him. And we were able to encourage each other in that purpose. In our small group community, we experienced the rhythms of life you read about in the Bible, of mutual service, of confession and forgiveness, of encouragement. And this period in our lives was preceded by a time where uh, we had heard a lot of sermons about being brothers and sisters to each other. And I remember regularly thinking, wow, we really have to know each other to do this. To tell a person, for example, that they're holding on to a persistent sin in their life and they need to repent, or to be able to tell them, God has given you this gift and I encourage you to use it. You actually need to know someone's life. You need to know who they are to be able to do that. And in our small group, I began to see that kind of mutual knowledge become real. And after a year or so of that small group, this is what it felt like for me. I won't speak for everyone else, but for me to see them, I'd see them face to face and there was joy just in their presence. John knows this church. It's so clear from his writing 
uh, the, just the ways he addresses them, referring to them like family. He knows this church, and he shows us here that there is joy in experiencing the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this shouldn't surprise us to know this, because it's actually, it's the very nature of the gospel. There's a lot of ways to sum up the gospel, but here's one for you. God creates the universe, and in it, he creates man and woman. The man and woman have a face-to-face relationship with God, but they sin. We've been hearing in this book so far about how obedience to God's commands and loving relationship, they go hand in hand, and they're disobedient, and so they disrupt that loving relationship. And what's the first thing that happens once they have sinned and disrupted that relationship? If you'd like to read along with me, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 3. It's a tricky one to look up. It's on page 2 of the Bible. So we have chapters 1 and 2, the creation, excellent stuff. We have 3, the temptation, Adam and Eve falling into sin. We're going to skip over all that. What we're interested in is in verse 7, starting there. All right, so this is after they have disobeyed God. And sorry, if you want to look it up, there's uh, Bibles under the seats, or feel free to just listen. Um, Then the eyes of both, that is, the man and the woman, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. First thing that happens is they feel fear and shame. And actually about their bodies, they're suddenly like, oh, I'm naked. I need to cover myself up. They create something to put a barrier between themselves, between each other, the man and the woman. And they actually, they feel like they want something to come between them and God. This is their new nature. This is their new life of sin is one of not actually wanting to be fully experiencing God's presence. And so from then on, God has a paper and ink relationship with humanity. Tommy said last week that Moses probably came the closest of anyone in the Old Testament to actually seeing God. And when he, it's true, and when he walks away from those encounters, what he has is the law inscribed on stone tablets. The law is like a contract between God and the people of Israel. And it's good. It's a good thing. But it's a good paper and ink relationship. In it, the written code has come to define the everyday experience of the relationship between humanity and God. And yet there's always this sense that the relationship isn't quite what it should be. It's not quite complete. We get these glimpses and promises throughout the Old Testament of a future time when the people are going to be rejoicing in the presence of God. And the way God achieves that is that God becomes incarnate. 
That's a term meaning in the flesh. Tommy talked about that last week and about how John is, is careful to emphasize that. Uh, he wants to emphasize a couple things. One is that knowing the truth is not simply a matter of reading the right books or learning the right facts. Knowing the truth is actually knowing the person who is Jesus. And he's really careful to emphasize that Jesus came as a physical person with a real body. These bodies that we were ashamed of, that we tried to hide from God, Jesus brings glory to these bodies by taking on the same kind of body for himself. So Tommy gave us eight reasons why the incarnation is important, and I will give you one more, which is that Jesus came in the flesh, present here with us, to speak with us face to face so that our joy may be complete. If you have never experienced that kind of community or that kind of face-to-face, -face, or am I saying if you've never, even if you have, it's good to experience this all the time. I invite you to commit to a few people in this church like family. That's something that we talk about when we talk about the nature of this community, right, is that we're a big group of people, but it's good to have a, a group of people that you commit to as like a small group, you're, you're sort of circle, and it's good to have a few that you commit to like family, people that you know, people who will know you. You'll let them into your world. They'll know you to encourage you, to call you out, both when you're in sin and you need to be called out to better things, and when God is giving you good opportunities and someone needs to call you to see those opportunities. Let people into your life who will know you in that way. Seek a community here that encourages you and, and encourages God's work in your life. And if you have never experienced the joy of a face-to-face -face relationship with God, that's what this whole incarnation thing is about, is restoring us from Genesis where the man and the woman had a face-to-face -face relationship with God through this time where the relationship had to be mediated by the written code to a time where we can know God and he, well, he knows us anyways, but he knows us and we can know him. So every week, we take communion, which is a commemoration of the Last Supper, and it reminds us of this um, unbelievable glory and joy and tragedy that is the incarnation. Jesus came in the flesh, face to face with us, and it's like we couldn't handle it. Like just like Adam and Eve in the garden not wanting to really be in the presence of God, it's like we couldn't stand being in the presence of Jesus, and so we killed him. And Jesus came knowing that would happen because it was worth it to him to restore us to right relationship and because he knew that he could take it. And that is his love for us. And so at the supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it. And when supper was ended, he took the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood. The blood of a new and everlasting covenant. This is a covenant not defined by 
the written code with the built-in separations that that had. But this is a covenant of face-to-face -face relationship, a covenant of enjoying the presence of God defined by the body and blood of Jesus given for us. And so he gave it to his disciples and said, take it and drink it. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to do communion. And if you've never done communion here before, we come up row by row, starting with the front, going to the back, you'll form two lines, and there will be a couple people up here to hand you the bread. You can receive the bread from them, uh, take a cup, and go back to your seat, and you can take it whenever you like. You don't have to wait for a super secret signal or anything like that. And um, I think I wrote down something else I was supposed to say there. Let's see. No, I didn't write anything down. Great, so we're going to <laughs> do communion, and... Um, then we're going to sing some more songs of worship. And you may have noticed this was a sermon on the shorter side, partly because I only had two verses to talk about. But also because, don't jump up and run out of here right at the end, I actually am going to have an application activity for us. All right? So just giving you the heads up on that so you're not totally disappointed when I say, wait, don't go anywhere at the end. All right. Thank you, God, for your presence here. Thank you for coming in the flesh and for the glorious relationship with you that you have offered to us, that you have made possible through your own suffering in your body. God, I offer up this time to you. Will you speak into each one of our hearts? and remind us of the desire you built in us to know you face to face. Will you use this time to be glorified in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, Lord? Thank you. Amen.